Currently, we are in an Advent series focusing on the passages in the Old Testament that point to the coming of Jesus. And this morning, we're looking at a prophecy that was written by the prophet Micah 700 years before it was fulfilled. And while it may have been difficult to finding where Micah is, sounds like some people are still looking for it. (laughs) Most of you are familiar with the Christmas story of the wise men that came from the east. We see that in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus is born, there are these men, these magi, sometimes people call them astrologers, and they follow this star in the sky, and then they arrive in Jerusalem. And we're not given any information on how they came to see this star or how they knew how significant the star was, but they came to Jerusalem specifically to see the child who had been born king of the Jews. And so word gets to Herod, the the king at the time, and in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. We can understand why Jerusalem would be troubled when their paranoid, unpredictable, murderous king was troubled himself. This newborn king was a threat to Herod. And so Matthew records that Herod got all the chief priests and and scribes together, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, and they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet. And they quote it. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Sound familiar? The chief priests and scribes knew that Micah 5 was in reference to the Messiah. And so they told King Herod, he'll be born in Bethlehem. They knew this. Matthew chapter 2 in the New Testament is showing us that this Old Testament prophecy that we're going to be studying this morning, Micah chapter 5, is about Jesus Christ. It's a passage that we should get to know as well. It's a promise from God about the glories of the shepherd king, whose birth we celebrate on Christmas Day. All right, so let's focus back on Micah chapter 5. Michael was a prophet during a period of great idolatry and darkness. And it was his role as God's man to call out the sins of the people. Not an easy job. But Michael was also a proclaimer of great Grace. Listen to this uh, from Micah chapter 7, starting in verse 18. He writes, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. 
You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Wow. When Micah pointed out the sins of God's people, he also pointed people to the gospel. He was a proclaimer of the glorious gospel, pointing to a a God who pardons iniquity, pointing to a God who has steadfast love towards his people, pointing to a God who will cast out all our sins into the depths of the sea. This is our God. That's the God that we worship. And in our text this morning, Micah chapter 5, we have a few short verses jam-packed with great and glorious truths. We have this prophecy of a great hope of the Messiah that the people of God have been waiting for, the coming of a shepherd king. Again, this was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And in it, it foretold, it prophesied the exact location where Jesus was going to be born, Bethlehem. In it, it told the people of God what type of ruler, what type of savior he would be. And so this morning, as we dig into these words spoken by the prophet Micah, I hope that you see that the glorious meaning of Christmas is that God has provided peace through the promised shepherd king. The glorious meaning of Christmas is that God has provided peace through the promised shepherd king. As we begin in in verse 1, Micah explains to the people of God that they're going to be invaded by their enemies. A siege was laid against them. And so he's letting them know there's no reason to hope in themselves, no reason to, to hope in their strength or their military might, because even their king would be humili- humiliated. It says there, with a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. And so after giving this warning of an invasion and, a, and of a defeated, humiliated king, the Lord speaks through Micah to give his people a word of hope, pointing to a ruler, a king who would be born in an unexpected place. Take a look at verse 2, a verse that we often read during the Christmas season. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. In this verse, we see that he comes from Bethlehem. We see that he comes for God and that he comes from old. Micah tells God's people that a ruler, a king, will be born in Bethlehem? Bethlehem? In our day, Bethlehem is considered a significant place, right? We have many Christmas hymns that have the word Bethlehem in it. But in Micah's day, Bethlehem was nowheresville. It was like one of those towns that you pass through that only has like one stoplight, maybe a Waffle House, 
or a Casey's gas station that everyone uses as their grocery store. It was one of those towns. It's described as being too little among the clans of Judah. It was so small that when Joshua assigned towns for the tribe of Judah, Bethlehem wasn't large enough to be on that list. And there was 115 cities and towns posted on that list. It was small. It was quiet and insignificant. So why does this king, this Messiah, come from Bethlehem rather than the royal city Jerusalem? Why Bethlehem? Because God loves to use the small. God loves to use the weak. God loves to use the unlikely to accomplish his purposes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 to 29, the Apostle Paul writes this, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is how God loves to work, to pick the most unlikely instrument for his glorious and mighty ends. Our Lord Jesus was born into a place that was hardly recognized. It wasn't even a dot on the map. And Bethlehem means house of bread. What a fitting place for the Savior who would be the bread of life. He came into the world to minister to the hungry souls of men and women. And another name attached to this is Ephrathah, which means fruitfulness. Although Jesus was born in this little unknown place, his ministry was fruitful. Matthew Henry explains, Christ would give honor to the place of his birth, not derive honor from it. What a glorious truth about the king of kings. He didn't come from one of the greatest places on earth, a place that we would expect a mighty king to come from. He's not a rich ruler who holds dominion over the poor. Instead, he came from a humble setting, a little insignificant town. He's the king for all people, great or small, rich or poor, you and me. But Bethlehem did, did have a little claim to fame. In the book of Ruth, Ruth and Naomi return to Bethlehem. And that's where Ruth meets Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. And then Bethlehem was also the hometown of this young shepherd boy named David, the great-grandson of Boaz. That was actually Bethlehem's claim to fame. It was the birthplace of David, Israel's greatest king. And then the last part of verse 2 here, it says that the Savior's coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, 
most likely Micah is pointing back to David. And so hearing that phrase would have reminded Micah's hearers that, of, that, of that ancient promise made to David. Remember the promise? That his son would sit upon his throne forever. Micah's saying here that a, another David, a greater David, was coming who would fulfill God's promises. And so even though they're, they're faced with this enemy nation that is laying siege to their city, God wants the people to know that he's not forgotten his promises. And in Jesus Christ, God keeps his promises. But that phrase from of old also points to something else. It points to the eternality of God. That word for old here is only used two other times in the Old Testament. Once in Habakkuk chapter 1, and then also in Deuteronomy chapter 33. And in both instances, the adjective is used to describe God. This promised king isn't just another man. Only Jesus Christ can fulfill this prophecy. The Son of God who has existed forever, who took on human flesh at his incarnation, this baby that was to be born of a woman, was also the eternal God. And so think about this. Jesus' mother Mary had a child that was older than she was. Let that sink in. His origins were from a bolt. Ancient days. Mary and Joseph had authority as Jesus' parents, but he had authority as their eternal God. This is the glorious mystery of the Incarnation. And then in verse 3, we have hints of the context and the setting in which Jesus would enter. Look at verse 3. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And as our, our thoughts are on the birth of Jesus during this Christmas season, that phrase, she who is in labor, should cause all sorts of alarms to go off in our head. Isaiah had said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So here in this verse, we read that God is going to give up his people for a time. Because of their sin and their idolatry, Israel would be given up to their false hopes. They would be given over to their enemy nations because God would no longer tolerate their empty worship. God's people would have to learn the bitter wages of their sin to prepare themselves 
for the coming of Jesus. But then it says a, a king would be born who would cause the people to return. We know this king to be Jesus Christ. And following his birth was his life, his death, and his resurrection. And it would be Christ's sacrificial death on the cross that would pay for Israel's sins. His death would reconcile his people back to God. There would be a great return. Because of his work on the cross, the people would be spiritually restored and reunited with their God. And then we have verse 4 that describes what kind of king he will be. Look at verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. The category that God chooses to describe King Jesus is one of shepherd. He's a gentle shepherd, a gentle shepherd who's going to provide for the needs of his flock, but at the same time, he comes in the name and the majesty of God. Micah 5 helps us appreciate Jesus' words in John chapter 10, verse 14, which says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Unlike the false shepherds of Micah's day, corrupt leaders who betrayed and oppressed the people, God promised a king that would tend to the flock in the strength of the Lord. Jesus is the new and better David. He's the great shepherd, the one who Micah points us to, in, whom's, in whom all the hopes and fears of all the years are met. He is our great king and our good shepherd and as our shepherd, Jesus knows us intimately. He knows his flock, his word, his voice. It directs us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. He pursues us when we stray, and he brings us back to safety. He leads us to green pastures and, and beside still waters, and he restores our souls and he defends us from danger. Jesus is our good shepherd. He is our king. And like sheep in his flock, we can depend on him. We can trust him completely. And we can rest in him. So my question to you, is that a message that you're preaching to yourself this Christmas? For some of us, like those in Micah's day, we're dealing with difficult circumstances in our lives that leave us with a lot of uncertainty and fear. We're going through things that seem chaotic and out of control. And here, we have a message that you can preach to your heart. Jesus is my good shepherd. 
He knows me. He has words for me. He will restore my soul. He is my king. And under his rule and reign, I am safe. That's a Christmas message. I have a king today in Jesus Christ, and I am safe. And as John 10 says, Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. Isaiah had foretold this. Isaiah writes, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Israel's greatest problem wasn't that the enemies were going to storm the gates and take them captive. Israel's greatest problem was their sin, which Micah had pointed to them in the first chapters of the book. The only hope for Israel, the only hope for any sinner, including you and me, is that God would send his own son to suffer and die for my sins. The good shepherd who would lay his life down for his sheep. And so if you've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, I urge you to do that today. To repent of your sins to turn to him and bow down to the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the eternal. He's the all-powerful. He's the unexpected. He's the humble, good shepherd. He's the leader and guide that all of us are really looking for. We're looking for a, a good leader in our lives. Sometimes, we look to ourselves to be that. But he is the leader and guide that all of us need because he nurtures us and he protects us. And ultimately, he laid down his life for us. He is truly our shepherd king. And then notice in verse 4, when Jesus comes, it says that they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. That Hebrew word that is translated dwell secure comes from a root word that means to sit. And so at the beginning of this verse, Jesus stands to shepherd his flock. And because he stands watching over us, that means that we can sit down in complete security, knowing that we're safe. He is our peace. What a picture. Jesus, our shepherd, stands in constant watch over us. 
You can never stray from the line of his sight. Nothing in all of creation is able to separate you from the love of God and Christ Jesus. And shortly before Jesus died, he looked at his disciples and he said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He came for your peace. So that your hearts wouldn't be troubled. That you wouldn't be afraid. And so don't leave here this morning without a sense of that peace. All these promises that were first made to the people who were about to be invaded. I mean, you can imagine the horrific things that happened when that invasion actually happened. The peace that Jesus offers isn't just the absence of conflict, the absence of difficult circumstances, but it's peace in the midst of them. Do you think that he doesn't know what you're going through right now? Do you think that he doesn't know what you're going through right now? Do you think that he's incapable of providing you peace in the midst of whatever you're going through? The peace that Jesus brings is far better than just the absence of war the absence of chaos. The greatest peace that Jesus offers us is spiritual peace. Because because of our sin, we are at odds with God. And because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we now have peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, you have peace with God. And we have the promise of a peace that passes all understanding. The whole world around us is looking for peace. You may be here this morning looking for peace, and God has provided it in the person of Jesus Christ, the shepherd king that has been born out of Bethlehem. And as we close, consider the marvelous providence involved in the fulfillment of Micah's prophecy. Joseph the carpenter was engaged, betrothed to Mary, and they were in Nazareth in Galilee. And an angel appeared to each of them and said that by the Holy Spirit's power, God's son would soon be born through Mary's virgin womb. Meanwhile, in a far away Rome, Emperor Caesar Augustus had an argument with King Herod. And as a result, he decreed that all of Judea would be imposed with a tax. And to emphasize his authority, Augustus decided to require all the Jewish people to be registered in their hometowns. 
This occurred during the very month that Mary was expected to give birth. And so Joseph and Mary make this long journey to Joseph's hometown. Where is Joseph from? Well, Joseph comes from the line of David. And so they end up in Bethlehem. They're not there by Caesar's will. They're there because of the sovereign decree of God in fulfillment of this ancient prophecy in Micah chapter 5. And Mary gives birth to God's son. And it was out of Bethlehem that Israel's savior, shepherd king, was born. And as Philip Brooks wrote in O Little Town of Bethlehem, Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And it's in this little child from Bethlehem, the promised shepherd king, that not only Israel, but all nations would have security and peace. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not promised to have a perfect and pain-free life. God may lead us through a period of difficult trials and circumstances, but that's not because God doesn't care about you. He knows your real needs. He knows our needs better than we do. And so my prayer for you this Christmas is that every one of us would know the security the joy, and the peace of Jesus, our shepherd king. He has made peace by the blood of his cross. He has reconciled us back to God and promises us peace no matter what we're going through. May you submit to his lordship. May your hearts be comforted knowing that he's watching over you, providing you, what you need in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. May all your hopes and all your fears be met in him. And may you have a very merry Christmas. The glorious meaning of Christmas is that God has provided peace through the promised shepherd king. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for King Jesus. We bend our knees again this morning, or maybe for the first time. Lord, we confess that we have often looked for hope and peace in things, in ourselves. We acknowledge this morning, Lord, that we have sinned. Forgive us. Help us to look to the only one who can provide hope and peace, the Lord Jesus. Lord, please give us that peace that Jesus is more ready to give than we are to even grasp it. Lord, we pray for those here who do not know him, who do not trust him. Lord, we pray that they would believe in him 
And not only that they would find salvation from their sins, but that they would find a peace that cannot be experienced apart from him. Your promised shepherd king. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.